0: Good morning, dear church family. It's so great to uh, see you all this morning. I'm Corey. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you've been with us um, at all over the last, I guess, four weeks, we've been in a sermon series on the book of Jonah. And we're calling this sermon series Disruptive Grace because we're learning that grace is not really grace unless it's disruptive. Grace is not really grace uh, unless it turns your life upside down a little bit, unless God gets up in your business. Uh, unless you let him begin to turn and change and disrupt and make you new. Grace isn't grace uh, unless it changes you. And so we're now heading into the final chapter of the book. And this is actually, it's interesting. It's probably the least known chapter, but the most important chapter in the book because this is where all the deep lessons of the book begin to emerge. This is such an important chapter in the book that we're going to spend two Sundays on it. I'm just going to cover some intro today, and then we'll go into it even more in depth next week. So um, let's read from Jonah chapter four, uh, starting in, actually in verse 10 of the previous chapter. Let's hear God's word. When God saw what the Ninevites did and how they turned from their evil ways, God relented and did not bring on them the destruction He had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah again, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been so concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, died overnight. And should I not have concern for that great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? The end. This is the word of the Lord. Years ago, 10, 10, maybe 10, 11 years ago, um, when my... Oldest girls were five and three. I, I remember this vividly. I was watching a nature documentary with them. Um, we were watching something about you know Africa, and there were some lions, and the lions were stalking an antelope on the African plains. And there was so there was a lion, and he was stalking through the grasses and. And then he sprang out and he began galloping after this antelope. And, and then in just this great final act of fury and power, he leapt on it and he pawed it down to the ground and he began eating it. And I was sitting in between uh, my, my oldest, Sophia, who was five at the time, and, my, and Anna, who was three at the time. I was sitting between them. And to my right, Sophia was crying. Uh, she was um, crying pretty uh, Heavily, tears were running down her face. She was curled up in a fetal position. She was crying out, no, no, no. She was to my right. To my left was my three-year-old, Anna. And she was literally jumping up and down on the couch, pumping her fists and saying, get him! Get him! Yeah! It was amazing. And I remember like looking to my right and looking to my left and, and just thinking, how, how, how could this be? You know, how, could, how could these two kids from the same parents, from the same progeny, from the same gene pool, be reacting so differently to the same situation? Now, that's funny, and yet, this cha- the way the story ends is supposed to be funny like that. It's supposed to be the same comic juxtaposition as you see two different people, Jonah and God, respond to the same situation in radically polarized, radically opposite ways. In response to the repentance of the people of Nineveh, God relents. Jonah intensifies. God turns from his anger. Jonah turns towards his anger. God extends compassion. Jonah extends judgment. Their reactions could not be more different. It's meant to be funny, it's meant to be silly. And yet, it's also meant to be provocative. The whole chapter ends with this sort of open-ended question, and it's meant to really ask you how close or how far is your own heart from the heart of God? As you respond to the people around you, as you respond to situations, as you respond to other people's mistakes, as you respond to situations even involving your enemies, how close or how far is your own heart from God? The heart of God. That's really the great theme of this whole book, this whole chapter. And that's the question that we're going to be looking at in different ways in the next couple of weeks. How do we get a heart like God's heart? You know, if you had never seen this story before, and we're just hearing it for the first time, and you came to chapter 3, verse 10, where it says that all of Nineveh repented, and I asked you how the story you would think would finish, you might say, like, well, Jonah saw that the whole city repented, and he went home rejoicing that God had used his. Measy little sermon to cause an entire city to repent. The end. Right? That's how you would think it might end. But instead, the way the story ends is, Jonah went home furious and angry because he didn't get his way. You know what is going on with this guy? This, this y'all. This what what just happened is like the greatest triumph of a prophet that we know of in the Old Testament. I mean, this is like, I mean, <laughs> Billy Graham has nothing on this guy. I mean, no, no, nothing has compared to this degree of success in evangelistic campaign. Uh, th- this would be the equivalent to a tennis player winning a Grand Slam title, you know, 10 years in a row. This would be like uh, an artist's work being chosen for, you know, the National Gallery. This would be like uh, a, a violinist being asked to play at Carnegie Hall. I mean, this is, this is the greatest triumph for a prophet an entire city of wicked pagans has repented from their violence, and Jonah's furious. Why? Well, it's not because he doesn't have a lot of Bible knowledge. It's not because he's not religious. It's not because he, I mean, he's he's deeply knowledgeable of the Torah. He quotes Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, perfectly back to God, gracious, compassionate to God, slow to anger, to abounding in love, which serves sort of as a creed for all of Israel. He knows his stuff. He knows his theology. He knows his Bible. He's deeply religious. He appears to have a vibrant prayer life. He's always talking to God all the time. And so what this tells us is that it's very possible to be a deeply religious, Bible-believing, even prayerful person and still have a heart that is completely out of touch with the heart of God. And is this not the problem of so much American Christianity today? That the church is more known for its judgment than it is for its compassion. That the church is more known for its politicking than it is for its grace. That that we are full of religion and yet so often have hearts that are far from the heart of God. So that's the question. How do we get a heart like God's heart? How do we get a heart like God's heart? Well, we gotta begin by asking, what's wrong with Jonah's heart? What is wrong with his heart? And what's wrong with his heart is what's wrong with my heart and what's wrong with your heart. And that is that we have divided hearts. We have hearts that have a war going on in our hearts, a worship war all the time. You know, when I say worship, you think of what we're doing now, think of singing songs, praying, uh, listening to a sermon. But the Bible sees worship as comprehensive. It's really more defining of your whole identity. Before worship is an activity, it is an identity. It's who we are. It's what we were made for. All of us, every single moment of your life, everything that you do, everything that you feel is rooted in worship. Something is always reigning and ruling in your hearts. One of my favorite uh, American novelists is David Foster Wallace. I not know if you've ever read any of his very disturbing work. He's passed now. Um, but he once gave a speech that is just now a, a really, probably one of the most famous commencement speeches out there. And this is what he said in the speech. He said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything you worship else will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you find real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. If you worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and health, you'll always feel ugly. The only choice we get Is what to worship. Now, he was not a Christian. In fact, he took his life soon after this, fulfilling his own words. And yet, he's right that we've all got this worship war in our hearts. We were made to worship God. We were made to find our soul's happiness and wholeness and satisfaction and joy only in Him alone. And yet, we are constantly giving our hearts to all these other gods. There's a worship war going on. It's either the Creator or something created, it's either God alone or something else. All of us are trapped in this ongoing war of worship in our hearts. And this is exactly what's happening to Jonah. What is ruling Jonah's heart? What do you think is ruling Jonah's heart? Well, we've already seen it already, haven't we? Jonah's Jewish identity was very important to him. We saw that a couple weeks ago. If you were here, remember the circles that we did? Remember how Jonah's racial identity was right in the center of it? Jonah's racial identity, his ethnic identity, his religious identity, and the national security and identity of Israel was deeply important to him. It was so central to his life and his meaning that he cannot even imagine that any other nation could ever receive the blessing and favor of God. And so now that one has, because of him, his life bottoms out. Everything that brought him significance and meaning is now seems to be eroding away, and and, and he yells at God. He says, I knew it. I knew you were good and compassionate and gracious. I knew you would forgive them. I I knew you would relent. This is why I tried to run away. I knew it. My worst nightmare is coming true. I would rather be dead than alive. Do you see what he's saying? I mean, y'all, no one has that kind of reaction unless something... Very important to them. Very central to their life has been taken away. He is essentially saying, my ethnic identity and the national identity and security of Israel was so important to me that now that it has been compromised and undermined, I have nothing left to live for. The irony of this. He is speaking to God, the only one who gives him meaning, saying, I have no meaning. Speaking to God, the only one who gives life, I have no life. He is speaking to God, but his real God has been taken away. And he has nothing left to live for. You know, one of my favorite authors who writes about this kind of stuff said this. This is Paul Tripp. He writes, a desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. Desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. Uh, uh, Jonah was a patriot. Patriotism is a good thing. You know, it's good to be patriotic. It's good to have pride and love for one's country. But when patriotism becomes a ruling thing. When it toxifies, so that suddenly patriotism becomes bloodlust. It becomes a desire to see one's enemies crushed and nuked off the face of the earth. You know, that's when it's become a destructive thing. Jonah, when when your love of country Becomes something where you so long for the military and economic superiority of your own nation, even over and above the good of all races and nations, over and above God's plan to reconcile all nations to Himself, as we are celebrating today, then your good patriotism has become a ruling thing and therefore a destructive thing. He does it again later. What about personal comfort? You know, personal comfort is a great thing. I like to be comfortable. You like to be comfortable. Jonah liked to be comfortable. He went out on the hill. He was hoping that God would change his mind and nuke the city. Uh, So he wanted a front row seat. He makes a little shade for himself. God provides this plant. It's shading him. He's loving it. He's sitting back, maybe drinking a Fanta or something. I don't know. And he's just loving it. He's so comfortable. It's the one time he's happy. It says in verse six, he's very happy. It's the one time he's happy in this whole chapter. And then God provides a worm. And it eats the plant, and he's furious, why? Because things were finally going my way, and you took it from me, how dare you? Everything that he wanted, his comfort, his control, his desire for a good and comfortable life at that moment was taken from him, and again, he doesn't want to live. Comfort is a good thing, it's fine to want to be comfortable, but do not let it rule your life. It's fine to want to have control. A lot of us like to have things our way, and to have life the way that we want life to be. But if that is so important to you, if you need your life to be going a certain way, for you to be happy, and to have a sense of purpose, then a good thing has become a ruling thing, and it's become a destructive thing. For me, it's often been, um, honestly, it's been success, success. Um, I didn't know this about myself until about 12 years ago, when. I was planting a church, I was planting um, Easton Fellowship down in Church Hill. And I knew that most church plants failed. And so I was determined, the church that I'm planting will not fail. And so I worked my tail off. And I worked many, many hours. And I poured my everything into that church plant. Uh, And I I was overly consumed. And I neglected my family. Um, And then the church started to fail. And we were hitting some big obstacles. And so, you know what? You know what happened? I didn't just have like some normal discouragement. I kind of plummeted and went into despair, depression, deep discouragement. I began to get angry, resentful. And I'll never forget Sarah sat down with me one night and she goes, "Um, Do you think your work might be too important to you? No. (laughs) No, I said. Do you think you might have tied too much of your personal identity to your success as a pastor? No. What? You're crazy. Of course, he was right. You know, being a pastor is a good, wanting to be a good pastor, that's a good thing. Wanting to be a good pastor of a successful church, that's a good thing. But I could tell you from experience, when a good thing like that becomes a ruling thing, when I need it desperately for my life to feel like it has any significance and for me to finally be happy and when that thing is beginning threatened in any way, my life starts to bottom out, that's when you know a good thing has become a ruling thing and therefore a destructive thing that wrought havoc on myself and my entire family. So, we all got to worship war. So, what is it for you? What is it for you? It's not a matter of if, but what. What is claiming the title of your heart? Look at your emotional life. You know, it's normal to be discouraged when something doesn't go your way or when God doesn't answer a prayer. That's normal. But if you have disproportionate emotional negative reactions Like Jonah did That's a sign that there's something else that's ruling your heart When you have not just sadness But intense sadness Or intense anger Or despair Or persistent anxiety That's a sign that there is something that was so important to you That you needed it for meaning and happiness That is finally being threatened You know, pay attention to your negative emotions Or on the flip side Pay attention to your positive emotions You might be really happy right now you might be feeling like life is great, but why? Why are you so happy? Is it because God's name is being glorified and his will and kingdom is being advanced in the world or is it because, like Jonah, you've got a nice shady plant above you? Your gods of comfort are being satiated. You know, your, you, your bank accounts are full. Business is going great. Your kids aren't acting up. What gives you happiness? Is it God and his glory or is it because your gods are being satisfied? So pay attention to your, what is it that is ruling your heart? Jonah doesn't have the heart of God because the wrong God has his heart. Jonah doesn't have the heart of God because the wrong God has his heart. And so really one of the most important questions that we can ask after you've really come to terms with this about yourself, as I have, is this. How can people with Jonah hearts be healed? How can my heart be healed? (laughs) Because I've got a Jonah heart. I think if you're honest with yourself, you would say you do too. How does your heart get healed? Well, hopefully you know this by now. If you've been here for the last few weeks, the only way our hearts are healed is through God's tender, persistent, patient, loving, disruptive grace. That's the only way that rebel warring hearts. Are healed and look how patient persistent loving God is he comes to Jonah yet again he asks him these tender questions is it right is, that, is it cool for you to be angry about this plan he provides he wields the powers of nature before it was a hurricane now it's a worm and a plant he's providing all these things just trying to get through to this man y'all God is so patient if I were writing this story it would have been over at the end of chapter one Jonah gets thrown into the sea the end short book Short book if I was writing it, but not God because God is writing this story and he is persistent and patient and loving, coming to him so kind, so gentle, so committed to seize and claim this man's heart, even using his sovereign power over nature to draw this man's heart back to himself. And this is what God does for us. He loves you that much. It takes a long time, a long, long time to heal a heart like Jonah's. And God is in for the long haul I was thinking about that this week When uh, I was trying to figure out What to do about my grass It's not really even fair to say that I have grass I have, I have weeds With a little bit of grass in my yard And so I talked to a grass man Like an, an expert uh, Landscaper guy He came and he, said, he looked at the grass and said mm, Yes, it does seem like I have a problem here And uh, I, said, I said, so what do I do? He said, well you can do one of two things You can either rip all this up and lay sod, which is really expensive and you know questionable of whether it'll last, or you can do the better thing, you can do the slow thing. You can aerate right now and break up that dry ground and you can reseed and then you can water it and you can let the sun hit it and then next spring you can do that again and then the fall you do that again and you won't see anything happen for a couple of years, it'll just look the same, but then slowly over time, maybe like 10 years, you'll have a good, a good lawn. So that's what I'm doing, (laughs) y'all. That's what I'm doing. And you know, what I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, this is the way God loves us. God does not lay sod. He does not. He does not do spiritual lobotomies. He does not kick us to the curb, nor does he change us overnight. His love is patient. He is the patient farmer. Breaking up the dry ground. Using storms and hardships and pain sometimes taking things from us that we desperately thought we needed, uh, doing the tender work of a farmer, sowing his seeds of grace over and over and over again, constantly reminding us of his love, reminding us of his grace, extending his mercy, extending his forgiveness, calling us back to himself again. This is what God does to heal stony hearts. This is what he does to heal us and draw us back to himself again. And this is what he's doing today as we come to the table. So I just want you to think about this. As, you, as we receive communion today, think about this. Think about first that God is calling you to admit the war in your heart. It's not a matter of if there's one, there is one. So he's asking you to admit it and to name it and to say to the Lord, Lord, I just want to confess, I, you know, as you look at your, your anger, your jealousy, your resentment, your judgmentalism, the things that you get really envious about, look at that stuff. Look at the negative stuff. And ask yourself, what's at the root of this? And say to God, Lord, I admit, I admit that I worship at the God of comfort or career or power or family or perfect kids or whatever it might be. Just admit that to the Lord. Admit it to him. He already knows it. There's nothing probably worse than Jonah's. <laughs> so admit it to him. Come to him. And then as you come with all of that warring heart within you, just see him tenderly claiming you as he claimed Jonah. See him tenderly reaching out in his persistent, patient love yet again. Jesus is here yet again to offer you grace. Jesus is here yet again to say, look, do you want to know how much I love you? Here's how. I came for you. I've lived for you. I've died for you. I've borne judgment for you. I've taken on your sin for you. I've risen for you. I reign for you. I send the spirit for you. You want to know how much I love you? This much. And so now receive his grace yet again. Receive his grace and With his grace, receive all the meaning, all the glory, all the comfort, all the power that you have been looking in all those other places for. Receive it here in Christ, in Christ alone. So let's come to the table, and let's just celebrate, oh my gosh, that people with Jonah hearts, like you and me, get this. We get this. We get love and grace to the infinite degree. Only this will heal our hearts. So let's pray that he does that for us today. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that despite our wandering, warring hearts that are constantly uh, being captive by other gods, you call us back freshly to yourself again, ready to patiently, persistently, lovingly give us grace. So we do pray now that you would let us meet you here together at this table, in Jesus' name, amen.